Today on Laura Lynn and Friends. Our government has changed, and it's all been towards a concentration of power, which is inimical uh, to a democratic constitution. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laura Lynn Tatter Thompson. It's great to be with you today. Um, you know, JT, I wouldn't mind showing that picture. Do you know that uh, back in the, um, so this was in the uh, late 80s, um, early 70s, this was my hair, okay? And when I showed this to my daughter, she asked if it was, <laughs> my daughter said, was it Halloween? <laughs> so, uh, it's funny how styles and lives change over time. And we look back at some of the pictures where we thought we were oh so cool and we look like big nerds, right? All right. So this was my hair in 1980s and 70s. And and the gal beside me, so her name was Toby. And, uh, you know, so when my daughter saw all of us, she thought that we were all out. Well, you know, we're all in white t-shirts, which was the standard like you were not cool if you didn't have a white t-shirt that was kind of like a guy's t-shirt and and the you know the collar went up to here and then you had really big hair. Now, I had sometimes even bigger hair, but my friend beside me, that's how we all wore our hair. And we put this sticky stuff in it so it like it it was like glue. Do y'all remember that? It was ice um ice uh hairspray and once you put that stuff on, like it wasn't going anywhere and it became a danger to others and to their eyes. So you had to be careful. You didn't want to be sued for poking someone's eye out with your hair. Anyways, all right, enough of that. Uh, super fun, I will call it Throwback Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? It's Tuesday. Wednesday? Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Um, I lose days. So you know that I love to read from my dad's Bible and he was just such an incredible man of God. I miss him every day. He left me this legacy I didn't know would become so valuable, and that his, that's his Bible. And he has underlined from the beginning of it to the end of it. I opened it up today, Psalms 106. And in verse 47, it says this. I only read you what he's underlined, all right? It says, Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. And I was thinking, well, gather us from the heathen, from among the heathen, gather us away. Like, aren't we in a heathen culture these days? I mean, every time you turn around, people are just promoting things that, oh, goes against your principles, your teaching, your godly heritage. And Canada was a nation founded on Judeo-Christian values. And when we look at that, um, it's a far cry from what we're seeing every day on the news, what we're seeing in our schools, what we're seeing in our judicial system, and in our government, as our government continues to be the scourge of society at this hour in Canada. Now, I know I have a lot of you watching from different parts of the world, and you're sharing the same things. I hear from you in Australia, New Zealand, uh, the UK, the United States of America, that we're watching everything kind of fall. Well, Let's talk about it. Let's talk about uh, how how we got here, where things came from. Uh, you're going to absolutely love my guest. This is a, a very learned man who seems to understand some of these things that I'm talking about here. Richard Lyons, he was born and raised in the Midwestern United States. His education took him through uh, Loyola Academy, the University of North Texas, and a graduate career at Southern Methodist University. Lyons has been a lifelong admirer of the written word, which has led him to literary pursuits as a poet 
essayist and screenwriter. I'd love to know more about that. Lyons has been involved in printing, publishing, and stage production during his professional career. He has a couple of books out, uh, The DNA of Democracy, and also his latest book, Shadows of the, I think, Acropolis. Uh, let me, Acropolis. let me, a what? Acropolis. Acropolis, yeah. All right, so let me bring you on, Richard. Thank you for waiting in the background there. Thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate it. I'd love to be here. I'm sorry, Acropolis is kind of a, it's hard <laughs> big to word. pronounce. <laughs> it's a but, really you know, big a word. Things you mentioned in the intro that are very telling and, and hmm. go right to what uh, the work is about. One is nothing ever stays the same. Your hairstyle in the 80s is not what it was, not what it is today. Things always change. Nothing stays static. You can't, there's a famous phrase by Heraclitus, the philosopher, you can't step in the same river twice though you try and do it in the same minute because it's always changing. So the United States and Canada are not the same. So what I sought to do in the DNA of democracy was to go over historically all the things by which our Western democracies were created. And one of the kernels of that, one of the foundations of that is the Ten Commandments. Now, why is that important? It was the first common law to which rulers and regular people had to attune their lives. It was a common law for all, and it devolved from God. And so no ruler could claim ownership of that law and say, no, I am the law. That is the critical difference between um, Israel and what was uh, you know, Egypt under the pharaohs. For the pharaohs, their will was law. In Israel, the law was the law devolved from, from God. And it's where we get our inalienable rights as having the rights of man. You know, that recently, so I, that became very important to me. I'll just say that I didn't always understand that. Like, you know, yeah. um, even growing up, I, I guess I didn't even question rights. I thought we had all the rights in the world until the last three years when all holy hell hit. And we found yeah. out that all kinds well, of things can go wrong. Exactly. There's a reason. So under the DNA of democracy, I put I put the growth of it's been very sporadic, Laura. There was the Athen there was the Ten Commandments as an example of common law. The Athenian Constitution, which gave rights and a voice and a vote in direct uh, relation to citizens. Then there was the Roman Republic, which was a manner of representatives representing the views of their constituents. And then from there, the DNA of democracy goes to England, where by, by means of the Magna Carta, there came rights, individual rights and property rights, rights in courts of law, rights to trial by jury. And so all these things were a part of the makeup of Canada and the United States. And so from there, I go into our constitution and exactly why it was created as it was created so that local constituencies, local assemblies, are like a direct democracy of Athens. Everybody has a vote, everybody has a voice in a small town. But when you get to the state level in the United States, it's a representative, it's a republic, a constitutional republic. Each of our 50 states are constitutional republics. And then you have the federal government, which is again a representative uh, matter, and it is too, a constitutional republic but with common laws. 
under which we have a bill of rights and those are the rights that protect us. So that is the basis of the DNA of democracy. I go into the civil war a little bit to show that our constitution, like any constitution, needs a little correction to enhance the rights of man and to extend, extend the franchise. So is, is the constitution, is, is that a key part of the democracy? Can you have a constitution, but still like you're a republic, what, what's the difference there? Well, we are a constitutional republic so that we are governed by a system of laws, not by not by men. So you can't just haphazardly the first oath that persons who are servants of the people in America at any level of government, the first thing they do is take an oath to the Constitution to serve it and defend it. And all laws passed constitutionally have to go undergo a judicial review to make sure that they are consistent with the Constitution. So it's a matter of having common laws, common rights, and common enforcement, right? A level playing field. That, that is the essence of uh, governance of the people rather than by a tyrant. Right. So is that where Canada maybe has got to look at some changes? We have got all kinds of factions calling for something to change because our country is now run by what we believe to be an absolute tyrant. And he's shown that over the last three years. Uh, And it's been an embarrassment, really. Yeah. Well, he and Obama have a lot in common, frankly. But uh, so what happened during the Obama administration is that I started noticing that associations and, and groups of persons specifically were being attacked by the Obama administration. One was the Little Sisters of the Poor who were against supplying abortive fashions in their hospitals as a part of their care. But under Obamacare, there was a little rule inserted that made it necessary by law that they do so. So the Obama administration sued them. Another group was the Tea Party associations that sprang up spontaneously, which is what's great about a democracy all over the country, and they were attacked by the IRS so that they could not fundraise. They couldn't raise money to advance their movement. They were were crippled in the crib, so to speak. Uh, When I saw that, I said, well, something's very wrong. Something's wrong with the way our country is governed. And then I saw that Arizona wanted it, and it's exact parallel to today. Arizona wanted to protect its own citizens the security of their citizens. So they were about making their own border impassable because the federal government under Obama was doing nothing to stop people from coming in the country, even criminals. So what did Obama's administration do? They sued the state of Arizona, which is against our constitutional framework of federalism. So with all that in mind, I wrote the DNA of democracy as an example. That is, that's the paradigm. And then I wrote The Shadows of the Acropolis, which is a tale of the last hundred years in America. Let me move that where people can see it. Um, The last hundred years of America has been a story of the concentration of power in Washington, D.C., and in one office thereof, the presidency, so that we now have a presidency like Trudeau's, um, where uh, the president is, I'll, I'll just use today as an example, Joe Biden is not defending our southern border. He is allowing millions of people to come in. That is in direct dereliction of the Constitution. It is tyrannical. When a person, any person, decides what law they will not execute, 
because their party doesn't like it or because they don't like it. These are laws on the books passed through constitutional processes. If one person or one party decides, well, you know, we don't like that law, so we're not going to enforce it. The reverse of the law becomes the law. And that is a tyrannical uh, manner of governance. So I wanted people to understand this, what's happening, how it happened. So I wrote the how and why of where, how we were created and the how and why of how we've departed from that so that people can really understand, my gosh, this isn't the same country, just as we have the same styles of the roaring 20s in our dress. Our government has changed and it's all been towards a concentration of power, which is inimical, inimical uh, to a democratic constitution. So does that get us in trouble um, with each different ruler? Uh, I've noticed, isn't Biden indirect? He, he's, he's completely mishandling the country and he's in direct uh, opposition to what your laws are, from what I understand, and Governor Abbott is bringing him up short on that. Yes, the, law, the laws that we have had in America, it was called the Immigration and Nationality Act. And it was created in the 1950s. It was amended a little bit in 1965, but it, it, it um, tasks the president with defending the country at its borders. Another, another act was created in 2006 in answer to 9-11 that again tasked the presidency or the executive branch with operational control of all seaports and all land borders. And what we're finding is that because Joe Biden and the Democratic Party want more voters in America, that they are allowing millions of people to come in here. And I think the end game is they'll say, well, wait, there's all the there are all these illegal immigrants. And we'll say, well, some should be some should be sent back. And they will say, well, there's 20 million. So why don't we send half back? So they still gain 10 million votes, right? It's very cynical, but I think it's very true uh, that they're doing this in order to take votes away from conservatives and to make sure that their government is socialist because that's where we're headed. Wow. It, it must be scary for you as a man who understands this uh, to, to uh, several layers deeper than most people and you're watching your country go through this transition. Could you share with me, like personally, what that is feeling like to you watching this? Well, I can see it be, you know, I've studied something of history, but I've, I've written these books because I sincerely believe that if middle of the road Democrats or independents understood where a part of the Democratic Party is taking our entire country, they would change their vote in the next election. They would literally say, wait a minute, we don't want to lose a constitutional republic. And that's what, that's what a part of their party is taking us to. So you see Robert F. Kennedy, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is now an independent because the Democratic Party is not the same party his father was a part of. They have thrown him out. They won't even allow him to debate Joe Biden because they don't want to debate, because they know their views are very unpopular, but they don't understand. The common Democrat does not understand what's happened. The common independent doesn't either. Uh, so um, with a democracy, because uh, you know, all of CNN, that's what they're, they're saying. 
uh, we're going to lose our democracy if we get uh, Trump in, right? Like that's they their constant thing. They don't want to, they do not want a constitutional republic. They want a demagogue at the top, like Trudeau, who's going to dictate to the people and use the media to teach them what they need to learn, right? It's called, it's called the ideal state theory of Frederick Hegel. It's their philosophy. It's why we have administrative states that create more laws than our legislative process now. That's okay. what I found it happened. Right. So, so with a constitutional uh, republic, should that protect a country no matter who is the leader? If, if the leader follows the law, it goes back to the Ten Commandments, Commandments, Laura. If there's a ruler who doesn't abide the Ten Commandments, that, that's no longer common law. And that should not be a leader. It's a tyranny. And that's where, that's where we're heading. Where Joe Biden and the administrative state and the Democratic Party can say, we do not like the laws that were passed 10 years ago. Literally in 2006. We don't want, we don't like that law. We're not going to enforce the border. You can't just do that because half the country, you know, is not represented then. Mm. So if you want to do it, there's a process to change the law. You do it through the Congress. You can't simply say, I'm not going to abide that law. You have to change it from right. within. So that's where we're at. So the problem I'm finding then, and I guess it would be the same with the United States of America, and I'm not sure how we protect ourselves because our country is founded on these principles that are really from the word of God because godly men founded this system of government that would honor yes. honor Going men, back. right? Yeah. Love God and all of that. Mm-hmm. That goes back 4,000 years. But you find democracies like the ones we were founded in are sporadic. They are not continuous. The common, what I call the common keep of humanity is tyranny. It's tyrannical government. And, and, and the, the key trait of a tyrannical government is a concentration of power that is inaccessible to the people. So what it means then is if, um, if we get enough people in our Northern America, so we consider ourselves North America and, um, yeah. you know, for whatever that means, but um, if enough people come to our country and we have opened our borders to those who do not share our values, we are in danger then of, of a legal way of laws being changed in the future. Would that be correct? Like they would change, like, like people have tried to put in Sharia law. This is Islamic yeah. law in Canada. And so far we've the, been able to stop that's it. The intent. That's the intent. That's why they've changed. That's in America, in, in the United States, the Democrat Party has taken over education little by little since the 1960s, since the Great Society of Lyndon Johnson. And as in 2010, it totally took over the, the funding function of universities. In other words, all the money that goes to universities channels through the federal government. They took over the, the means of, of finance through loans. If you want a student loan, you have to go to the federal government, right? And institutions 
that the government doesn't like anymore will not will not be doing well with their funding, their financing. And at that same time, you started seeing this shift away. It started in the 60s, away from democratic principles and to socialist principles, which are opposites. Those are opposites. So after everything that you've learned uh, and doing these deep dives and truly like line by line, bringing knowledge uh, to folks through your books, is there something that you personally, if you could, would change or shore up in order to protect the United States and thereby we might do to protect Canada? I, I would uh, devolve all power now in the administrative state to the states, to the 50 states. Oh. So there is no more dictation from a federal government. And there's a means of doing so because the Congress was never given the power by the Constitution to delegate power out of itself and into another branch of government. That is a power they've never had, but they've mm. used to create this massive administrative state. So I would cut the head off of the snake. Every, every administrative agency has, a, has an office in the Capitol. They also have an office in every state because they wanted their children to exist in every state of this agency. So the easiest thing to do is you say to the state of Illinois, if you want the HHS to continue in Illinois, you continue it, but you cut off the office in Washington. Okay, so that's very good. Uh, I, I see that your governors do do have and seem to have some power to do things the way they'd like. I mean, uh, Governor Newsom is destroying California and and uh, yeah, doing a great you know, job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and of course you've got a terrific governor in Florida who's just finished, you know, running for the presidency and all of that. But a very good man, um, and. So they do seem to have some autonomy. So would you be changing it to make it even more? Well, the way, if we go back to original principles again, Laura, the way our constitution was designed is most power was local. Mm -hmm. the, next, the next power was the state. So you heard from local authority first, then state authority. The only thing our federal government was designed to do was to unify the states for war and to have a uniform commercial law. When we talk about common law, there's common criminal law, there's common commercial law. So it was to make sure that there weren't tariffs levied in Massachusetts on products from Virginia, right? It would be one common market. That was all the federal government was supposed to do. But what has happened is there's been an inversion. That, that level of power with the most power is now the federal government and the least amount of power is in the local government. Right, so as you've unpacked all of this then, um, uh, I, I guess, are, what, what is the goal then of your second book, Shadows of the Acropolis? Acropolis. <laughs> how does by, that one differ? By the way, that was the plateau in Athens where all the citizens were equal and, uh -huh. and common sunlight and common law. That's okay. why. And so the shadows that are happening to us uh, are reminiscent. Anyway, um, the, the goal is to educate and it, it's the key factor in any 
government that the people govern. The people need awareness of where they are and what the issues are. So that's why I wrote the two books. And then there'll be a, there'll be two more volumes coming up that are essay based. Have you been doing a lot of speaking and such? I want to put your website up here because people uh, are asking where they can follow you and get your books. Um, uh, can can it's you tell RichardCLions.com. me? RichardCLions.com. Right. Richard and yeah. okay, this is, yeah, just beautiful. Um, so do you find, are you sharing a lot of this um, in speaking engagements and things like that? I'm doing a great number of interviews nowadays yes. on radio and on shows like your own. And it's getting a, you know, a good reception because as a, if it's just explained to people, they understand, oh yeah, there is a concentration of power going on. And yes, when power is concentrated, that power can inflict pain on citizens uh, without uh, citizens having recourse, like is happening to associates of Donald Trump. Yes, 100%. Um, the, do you think that uh, all of this attack on Donald Trump, I mean, it seems uh, very unprecedented. And I think that I saw in a news uh, headline just the last, I don't know, even 12 hours or something that um, they're not giving him presidential immunity in some jurisdiction. Um, well, what do you think about what they're doing in prosecuting him in so many different court cases right now? Well, it's, I call it the hundred different symptoms of, of socialism that we're seeing every day. One is, is the southern border. Another is that they, they go after Trump associates or associations um, that ally with Donald Trump. And then they want to take their principal opponent. He is going to be the nominee of the Republican Party, one of two major political parties in America. And they want to take him out judicially. That is akin to what happens in South America. We used to laugh at this stuff. And now the Democratic Party is using it with the weapon, with the weapons of the FBI, the CIA, the entire media. So they invent evidence, they publicize it, they throw him into court, he's found not guilty, but still the taint is there. And it's very akin to what happens in Cuba, for God's sake. This is what happens in Cuba. Yes. It's really so, destroying the credibility in so many ways, you know, it, a banana republic almost. It's the drive to socialism. So they have to disinherit us from our founding. They have to praise socialism in schools and attack the history of, of Western thought, for heaven's sake. Well, um, I, it's, all one, it's all 100 symptoms of the same disease. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And my final question um, I, I want to ask you with with all of the, you know, in the investigation, the studying that you've done on all of this, do you think though that there's also a faction at work that seems to be outside of the realms of the federal government, even of um, the United States of America and Canada, there seems to be powerful elements that are operating right now that seem to be controlling those that are in these governments because it's so interesting that we had, for a while, everyone was saying, you know, we're going to build back better. And it was from people in the UK to our leader, Trudeau, to Biden. They were all using this same language, whether it's through yeah. the United Nations or the WHO. What do you think about that? 
Socialism has always been a global phenomenon. And ever since the Bolsheviks in Russia, they thought socialism would take over Europe. And it is, it is like Islam. It, it entertains the idea of a global government, right? Our style of government is the opposite. Power grows out of localities up to put people in power. International socialism is power from the top down. So if you were at the World Economic Forum and they were coming up with all these rules and laws regarding uh, climate change that were to be dictated from a global body, right? Then through the EU and through our administrative states without any representative uh, of government even being able to question what these laws are, mm. right? But it goes to what kind of car you can drive. It goes down to what thermostat you can have in your house, what light bulb you can have. And it has to be dictated by government. So this is their, man I've always thought climate change is the Trojan horse that's getting socialism into the Western democracies. Uh, and becoming yes. very through climate change and anything else they can scare us. So, um, no, and listen, you know, the world's going to end, Laura. So we have to do what they say or we're all dead. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's really fear mongering, demagoguery, media driven, administrative state controlled. And would you say we're in the fight of our lives? Final question. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's our generation's fight. Yes. We won. We won against socialism in Europe in World War II. Now we have to face it in our own governments because it's grown up inside us. Hmm. Well, may we all stand and be vigilant. And uh, thank you very much for the DNA of democracy and shadows of the Acropolis. Acropolis. And <laughs> I always say, is this the apocalypse? I'm going to have the time of my life. So I think I'm getting my words mixed up. The apocalypse. <laughs> Acropolis. Okay, I gotta read it in order to say it. The Acropolis. I love it. Even if I can't pronounce it, I look forward to getting your book and I thank you very much for being here. And uh, thank you for sharing the truth on these issues. I think that they are of supreme importance. Thank you, sir. Well, they, it affects all of us. And yes. thank you, Laura, for your time. You're very welcome. God bless. Thank okay. you. Thank you. All right, everyone, that was Richard C. Lyons, and you can go to his website at richardclyons.com. Shadows of the Acropolis. Did I say it right? See? Oh, now he's gone. You know, that was terrible. All right. All right. My, I get tongue-tied sometimes, but uh, incredible. Um, that was an incredible conversation, and I think it leads into our next guest, uh, what's been going on in Canada. But I just want to, uh, you know, go over something. When when Richard Lyons uh, is saying this is the fight of our lives, I think that every, almost every interview that we present here every single day, whether it's medical health experts or people from the military, from the government, uh, education, this is an epic battle. There is something that has, it's almost like the black cloud that is now over every country of the world. And this black cloud is dictating what we should teach our children, what we should have on our television sets, how government should legislate laws for the protection of 
ridiculous things rather than by God's sovereign laws that everyone should be adhering to. And, and, you know, I always say, if you're an atheist, the safest place in the whole world for you is the United States of America or Canada, because we consider that God gave us freedom to believe as we wish. So it's all extremely interesting that we are in this epic fight. Now, I have a gentleman that wants to share some of his experience, and his name is Rob Krause, and he is a Canadian Armed Forces vet who started speaking out in 2019 on harmful government policies, uh, some of them concerning the ideology of Islamism and the Black Lives Matters movement. This resulted in disciplinary action in which he was reduced in rank from petty officer second class to sailor first class. At the same time, he was placed under administrative uh, actions, which resulted in his release from the Canadian Armed Forces under Term 5F, service completed, unsuitable for further service. On January 22nd of 2022 is when that took place. And it strikes me that was right at the beginning of uh, the Freedom Convoy. At the time of his release, he was also under the administrative actions for under administrative actions for failure to comply with the CDS directive on COVID vaccination. But the other administrative actions gave the RCN and the CAF the result they desired. He has since retired and moved back to Saskatchewan. And he's here today to give us a little bit of insight into um, the Canadian, Canadian Armed Forces. Sorry for sneezing, Rob, right when I'm introducing you. I hope that you're still there. <laughs> Sorry about that. How are you doing, Rob? Oh, we can't hear you right now. So we'll see if we can get your mic on, whether you have it or... Is your mic on in your place there? Do we have it on? on... Yep. Do you see his voice moving? We don't see your voice moving. Do you... Uh... Would you try this, Rob? Just disconnect and come back in, and we have something that we can show in the in, in the meantime. Rob will be right back. All right. Uh, pundit Alex Cargill uh, explaining why supporting uh, the CPC is uh, becoming more and more difficult. And have a listen. Most of our livable land with infrastructure is near the cities. That's where the people want to go. That's where they will go. And to answer this, you're like, no, we just need to stack the pancakes higher, bro. You can go up to the sky. Stack them higher, bro. You think that our problems will be easier to manage. Yep. We're in a collapse. That is, our country's on the verge of collapse. We've enacted draconian laws against our citizens. We've committed a medical genocide against our citizens. Trust is at an all-time low. And your answer is to get 6 billion new families in here before 2030, exactly as the UN Sustainable Development Goals want you to do. And we've been telling your supporters, good Lord, if you didn't like Trudeau, what is it that you don't like about Trudeau? His clowny exterior or the fact that he's leading you towards the Sustainable Development Agenda where you are nothing but surveillance state livestock using programmable money to condition every behavior you have till you are just a blank-faced Chinese citizen just like they are in China. That's a prototype. The world is what they want to roll the prototype out on and they've gotten our leaders to sign on with them through a long process of compromise, through various Jeffrey Epstein operations, the use of money, bribery, surveillance, because they're much better at it than us. They can get cell phones to film stuff that our leaders don't want released and then blackmail them with it. Uh, so we're pretty much uh, 
hell in a handbasket, bound for hell. And the answer to this is let's just get six million more families settled. That's CPC's answer. You guys are lunatics. You're absolutely crazy. You should have read the messages. Like, what's going to happen? We're going to have high density hospitals for these people, high density transit stations for all this. What the are you guys thinking pushing this? And how are people still supporting it? Even if they tell you the truth at this point, you shouldn't believe it. Shame on you if they ever do pretend to be PPC and roll back all these communist promises to make you digitally surveillance livestock. <laughs> I don't know how he talks that fast so clearly while he's driving. <laughs> it's really good. Um, he's just giving us a, a, a little bit of insight into some of the policies that seem still seem extremely like we're we're run by a uniparty here in Canada. And so don't get mad at us for bringing this to light. Consider what we're saying. It's very interesting that we have lost the art of conversation in recent times where we don't seem to think that we can just kind of like say, yes, we see that you're pro this and I'm pro that, but what's going on with the fact that many of the the CPC policies, especially with respect to climate, with respect to our borders and the protection of our borders, they're pretty similar, if not exact, the same as the liberals. So that's, that's what Alex is outlining here. And I thought he made some really good points. And uh, we had to cut down on the swearing there, Alex, so maybe uh, pay, pay more attention to that. So let's have a look at, uh, oh, Rob's here? All right, let's see if this is working, yep. Rob. All right. Am I back on? Yep, we gotcha. That's all right. all right. That's great. Okay, so I did introduce you, Rob, and thank you for serving yep. our country. Let me just say that you are a veteran, and I appreciate so much. I'm very sad at the treatment you got and some of the unfairness that took place, but I'd like you to tell us a little bit about some of your concerns that you vocalized, um, and, and it basically got you, you know, given, uh, given the boot. So uh, it started basically in the last half of 20, 2019. And uh, that was about the time when we saw a lot of the uh, energy policies in Canada, where they were, where our uh, federal government was impeding the uh, extraction of energy in the Alberta, especially in the West. And our financial policy was also starting to take a nosedive. And at the time, I uh, would make a small tweet about it, and uh, that was all well and good up until in December. Uh, during that time, uh, that was also when I had first learned about uh, M103, and uh, which was the Islamophobia motion through uh, Parliament, and I started digging in there, and. Uh, that started me uh, down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Well, tell uh, tell us a bit, Rob, tell us a bit about M103. Would you tell us what that is uh, for those that don't know? So for those who don't know, M103 is basically a parliamentary motion that almost carried the weight of law after. Uh, what it was was to, it was supposed to stop or discourage any kind of uh, discrimination based on religious grounds. But in the end, it got uh, 
weaponized and used to prevent criticism of uh, Islam. And uh, it resulted in a few Islamist organizations receiving funding from the federal government. And uh, a, a friend of the show, Tom Quiggin, has actually uh, spoken about that uh, in length. Yes, and I, I think that we've even had uh, Tom Quiggin on uh, talking about that. Um, I'd like to pull up uh, something that Tom actually wrote. But okay, so so what was uh, continue then with what your what your concerns were? So uh, actually, what happened was uh, I had asked basic. I had tagged the commissioner of the RCMP and asked about the status of uh, the file, the criminal complaint that Tom Quiggin had put in. And that got, for some reason, I believe that was what flagged me and it went through the chain of command and eventually it led to me uh, receiving a warning. So I stopped uh, criticizing the federal government openly on Twitter and then started moving towards uh, criticism of Islam on Facebook. Now, uh, your previous guest was actually spot on because today most of the political power in Canada is concentrated in the prime minister's office. And, right, and uh, that's been a problem, Rob. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, ever since then, uh, while I was in the forces, my social media had been uh, monitored on mm. a fairly regular basis. The uh, divisional officer I had on, the, on board the ship I was serving on at the time was of the opinion that uh, they had a model for the people who served under them. And if you did not follow that model, then you would be forced to adopt that model or your life would be made uh, very difficult. Hmm. And uh, I refused to, uh, I refused to uh, Abide change by that. myself to that model. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the uh, consequences were my, uh, dismissal from the service okay eventually so you sent us a couple of links uh and and maybe you could lead into this i'll ask jt to put the first one um up here uh tell us what you want canada to know that concerns you about how your experience informed you of some things that uh that we need to be aware of so the uh the item that's on the screen there is uh, Queen's Regulations and Order uh, 19.14. Basically what it says is that while a person is serving in the forces, they are not allowed to say anything in public, which includes a social media profile, which ties themselves to the military that might reflect discredit on the Canadian forces. Now, that flies right against uh, 
Section 2B of the Charter, which guarantees our uh, freedom of expression, thought, and belief, and also gives freedom to the press. Right, because However, you're saying you're saying uh, that maybe there is something that is noteworthy to be critical of, and we have and should have the freedom of expression to be able to do that in Canada. Exactly, and uh, one of the largest uh, pieces I was criticizing about Islam was Sharia, and if you look at Sharia, it is completely incompatible with our Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and with democratic values uh, in any Western government. Yes, 100%. We do not want Sharia law here. So were you commenting on Sharia law simply because you were watching things that were going on? We have had different, even members of parliament that have made, um, you know, put forward sort of motions uh, regarding Sharia law and, and perhaps getting it into our country. So was it these kinds of comments uh, that you were referring to? Uh, for the most part, yes. And also I was seeing what was happening in Europe at the time and is still continuing. And unless things drastically change within Canada, I could see what's happening in England, Germany, and Sweden between the uh, rape gangs and the uh, suppression of the open and honest debate about Islam coming to Canada. And uh, that is, uh, will be the, the beginning of the end of any kind of democracy in the country. Yes, um, I'd, I'd like to say that uh, when I spoke with Christine Anderson, I did an interview with Christine Anderson. I'm just trying to pull it up to see if I Wonderful have a kind woman. of- Yeah, absolutely. And she let me know that they were having difficulties with machete attacks, which was surprising to me. And also, um, you know, the rape culture uh, that was uh, going on there. And it was very alarming. And she was sounding an alarm and saying, we've got a problem with people who do not see things as we do. And uh, potentially it could put our nation. And she was, you know, kind of bringing a warning to me about that. And so, so when you, when you're talking about these things that you were concerned about, I guess this is what you were highlighting is that you were staying on top of what's happening in other nations, which I don't know that we do very much because our, our uh, mainstream media, legacy media, it's very, uh, it's almost um, a forbidden thing to speak of this kind of, um, you know, uh, it, to, to speak about Islamic beliefs or how they infiltrate a country. And so we don't hear a lot about it. No, we don't. And it's, it's a shame. Uh, the worst part of the mainstream media in Canada is uh, that it's been bought out by our federal government. And they have grown dependent on the subsidies that they have been given to the point where they are dependent on them. So if they do speak out against government narrative at all, they risk the funding being lost and then going out of business. Now, uh, another reason why we don't hear a lot about that is because most of our immigrants coming in 
or I should say a good portion of our immigrants coming into Canada today do follow Islam. And the UN Compact for Migration actually has within it clauses that state that media outlets are to avoid publishing any stories that are critical of the migrants or migration. So you, they get it from both sides. Wow. So did did you get called into the office and did, did they give you warnings and say, we don't want you oh, talking about... Oh, many times. Okay. Many and times. then you would say, what, what did you say to them, Rob? Well, they normally did not give me much uh, chance to give any comments back because of how they believed the uh, serious of seriousness of it all was. So in with the remedial measures uh, process in the forces, there's there's basically four levels. They believed that what I had done was so serious that they skipped the first level altogether. And then uh, when it came time under the disciplinary side, uh, they had charged me under section 129 of the National Defense Act, which is uh, conduct prejudice to good order and discipline for breaching Queen's regulation in order 19.14, which we uh, spoke about earlier. Mm. And that was for being openly critical of the federal government for criticizing Islam and for criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, so it's very similar to the. Uh, so you weren't to allowed to criticize. Right. You, so you weren't allowed to criticize the Black Lives Matter movement, which is uh, run by Marxist LGBTQ promoters, uh, somehow as someone who stands for Canadian values. Th this was a problem that you would criticize them. Well, you have to remember, our prime minister took a knee for Black Lives Matter. So that meant that the Canadian forces members had to support it. And if I had posted in, in support of that, nothing would have happened. Mm. But because I was critical of it and I was bringing facts about it, such as... Uh, how it, the whole movement itself is inherently racist, that uh, I had to be cancelled. Wow. So this is where you, you saw it straight up. Did you see any of the other, were any of the other, uh, you know, um, officers, were they tweeting like this or were they, um, were they afraid and did you did you have people that believed the same as you, but they knew they couldn't say anything? They didn't want to get in trouble like you. Yeah, I did notice a lot of people who would agree with what I said, but they would not say it themselves. And that is a big a big problem. Uh, reason for that is because of the massive shift to the political left that the Canadian forces and navy went through pretty much starting in 2016. And we all know what happened the year prior to that. So it started with gender-based analysis, where that got brought in, where every operation had to be uh, 
analyzed under the gender lens and then came uh, critical race theory uh, and relaxing the rules on beards and uh, and then the whole LGBTQ agenda was brought in and it got to the point now, uh, it got to the point where if a person was talking to somebody else and a person was offended at what they said and they didn't even have to be part of the conversation, they were not to talk to the person who offended them, which um, for most uh, human resources issues or conflict resolution, that's the first step normally. You talk to the person who offended you and if they apologize, great. And if not, then you then you take it higher. But instead, they uh, switch to basically a snitch culture where the person goes to their own supervisor and you basically do, they, it ended up being an end run and you don't even know what offended the person to start with. And it involved way too many people than uh, what it needed to be. And so, it just got to be such a toxic environment yeah. that a person was constantly in fear of saying anything. Does anything strike the listeners uh, to this uh, as it strikes me that we're so lost if in a country of freedom, you cannot speak openly about those things that we, for the most part, the fringe majority uh, if, if I could ironically use that term, but we don't believe in uh, these things that you were speaking out against. The, uh, uh, many, many Canadians were completely against Black Lives Matter. Uh, the, their initial, you know, website said that they were, they were against the nuclear family. They wanted to upheave the, the, the family. Many Canadians don't support that. They don't support Marxism. Uh, they don't support this LGBTQ uh, push that is going on. Millions and millions of Canadians. And it strikes me as very odd, um, you know, going back to some of the, the things that you were sharing regarding Sharia um, or Islamic concerns. If you could put um, my friend here, JT, up on the screen. Um, uh, when, when I was speaking with Christine Anderson and she shared with me this truth, she also gets in trouble. She also gets called these kinds of names, but she talks about, this was one very revealing uh, poll that she showed that this is going on in Germany. In this poll in Germany, Afghans and Africans are proportionally 40 times and 70 times more involved in gang rapes than Germans, than the, than the, the people of Germany. And she and was sharing this because this was a problem. And it was the same thing in uh, England, actually, with uh, the Rotherham rape gangs, because the uh, perpetrators there were mostly from Bangladesh and Pakistan. And yet it seems and, uh, that if you're, if you're in the, you know, if you're in the military where you're defending a country that rejects those ideals 
and those ideologies and those principles where you reject that, it seems that it's strange that you're not allowed to speak of that and that that is somehow your your freedom and your love of this country, therefore your willingness to speak against evil because we need to expose evil in order to understand it, in order to get rid of it. They didn't protect you. No, they didn't. Uh, and what most people don't realize is that when a person does join the Canadian military is that they still do have all of the protections of the Charter of Rights. However, the institution and it seems government today ignores the Charter if mm. it suits them. Right. And we Which saw is exactly that. what our last conversation that. was talking about. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you saw it especially with the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. 100%. The, and uh, another thing that uh, all of the policies and regulations that they used against me get their authority from the National Defense Act. Mm. Now, what they refused to even talk to me about was uh, Section 52 of the Constitution Act 1982. It basically states that the Constitution of Canada including the charter is supreme law in Canada and that anything that goes against what the charter says is of no force or effect. Uh, thank you there. So in essence, all of the policies that the Canadian forces have that go against the charter of rights and freedoms are in fact unlawful by the constitution but because it is bad for the institution it is ignored hmm. now, that that is really something so the the this says let me just read it out um it's it's quite um it's quite firm the primacy of constitution of canada the constitution of canada is the supreme law of canada and any law that is inconsistent with the provisions of the Constitution is to the extent of the inconsistency of no force or effect. The Constitution of Canada includes the Canada Act, 1982, um, the acts and orders referred to in the schedule, and any amendment to any act or order referred to in paragraph A and B. So um, th this is what we're supposed to be relying on and your your position is that that was not being done. No, even it, by our it was armed not. forces, it was, it was being ignored, and we saw the uh, charter being ignored by the federal government when it came to enforcement of uh, emergency orders under the uh, Emergencies Act. Mm -hmm. Because if you remember the the preamble to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms itself says, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Now that God is not Allah and that rule of law is not Sharia. 100% right, brother. It is not. And so, so this has been a, a pretty tough thing for you to go through, Rob. Um, 
Give us uh, what what you co- what you're coming out of this, and what you would like to sound the alarm to Canadians about because of your experience. So, uh, so the main thing that I want to say here is that uh, if you do decide to speak out against an ideology, make sure it is about the ideology and not the people who follow it. Because part of what they were trying to do was to uh, use hate speech laws against me. But because I did not target any one specific group of people and targeted ideas, that all they could get me on was a speech that showed uh, discredit to the Canadian forces. Now, the members of the Canadian forces still have all of the charter rights and freedoms guaranteed. There is nothing in the National Defense Act or the charter that says as a member of the military, you give up your rights. What you do end up doing is signing what they call ultimate liability, meaning that if you are sent into harm's way, you could lose your life or be uh, severely wounded. And I was fine with that. I was fine with... Thank uh, you. ...with possibly losing my life for this country. But would I do it again today? Not a chance. Uh, I am proud of my service to Canada, but I am ashamed at what this country has become. Wow, Rob. You know, it it, uh, ties into something, an interesting family uh, talk that we've had in in our own family. Um, When I've looked at uh, my grandfather, he was in the war. He was in the Second World War. His brothers were in the Second World War. Uh, But when I look at the illegitimate um, ideals and the godless principles now, the kinds of things that have happened to you, the loss of accountability in these groups and what we fight for. And especially, you know, things like the Ukraine war and sometimes some of the wars that we've gotten involved with that weren't our business and seem to be more about money or whatever. I now go, it it would take a lot. Now, my, my sons are actually probably above the age when men would normally go to war, like at 18 or whatever. But I I would not want any bloodshed for some of the ridiculous nonsense that we're now facing. And uh, your your experience is showing that we have got a system that needs to be completely uprooted and redone. Is there any way to fix this, Rob? Uh, The only way I can see fixing it is a complete rewriting of our constitution because Mm -hmm. the Canadian constitution only affects how government operates and it's totally opposite of the American constitution because if you look at the American constitution, it limits government power over the people. Whereas the Canadian one basically tells how government is to operate. Mm. And uh, it does, and section one of the charter, and I'll, I'll just read that out here. Sure. Uh, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out 
subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. So you look at all of the things going on today, especially with COVID, they never justified the, they were never able to demonstrably justify the rights and freedoms being taken away from citizens. 100%. And because of how, because of how backed up our legal system is, we are finally just starting to get to those cases now. Hmm. That that is absolutely uh, fantastic that you're willing to share and that you've shown us uh, sort of the the truth of of what you went through. Um, as we close, my final question to you, Rob, is uh, where does it sit now? Are you out of trouble and your life is good and you can live out the rest of your days in peace and <laughs> harmony? <laughs> so uh, I am out of trouble. I I still am careful in how I say things, but not exactly what I say. And uh, I'm basically uh, enjoying retirement in uh, the town where I first grew up in Saskatchewan and uh, fixing up uh, the house I, I'm living in and uh, enjoying some time on the uh, ham radio. Well, good for you, Rob. Uh, we appreciate you. We do thank you uh, for your service to this country and also your exposure of the, um, the hypocrisy and the evil, actually, that's at the root of some of our, our uh, institutions. So thank you, for, thank you for sharing that with us, Rob. This was really valuable, and I appreciate you sharing your experience that you've had. It's something that we should all take note of. God be with you, Rob. Thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, peace of Christ be upon you as well. Uh, thanks for having me. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. All right. Um, we're looking to see if uh, Tucker Carlson's latest interview, uh, you know he's about to go live with an interview with Putin. And if we can get it, we're going to run it. Um, but before that, let's see. Do you know a couple of the Coots guys? Um, I'm hearing from Granny Mackay that uh, they're getting out. So we have a we have an interview or we have a, a, a clip on that. Okay, take uh, it away. Boss, uh, friend of Chris Lysak. I understand you were in the courthouse courtroom where uh, a plea deal occurred. Can you please give us some details? Yeah, so essentially um, what happened this morning was um, to some degree a mini trial where uh, two of the four accused before the courts uh, took a plea deal um, on one of their on on one of their respective charges, um, which changes everything, obviously, and creates a lot of uncertainty for the remaining two, Chris Carbert and Tony Olenek. And um, do you do we know what charges have been dropped? What are the details with the deal? So I don't have uh, all the charges in front of me, but the charges that they um, pleaded to uh, was a weapons trafficking charge in relation to uh, Jerry Moran and there will be obviously additional detail that will come out um, from both the, the courts or, or the judiciary in relation to their respective procedure, uh, procedures and um, Chris Lysak pled guilty to a restrict, restricted weapons charge. 
did the conspiracy to commit murder charge dropped? Correct. Okay, that's very interesting news. Um, do you have any details? Other than that charge was dropped. Uh, they pled not guilty to that. That not guilty plea was accepted, and the guilty pleas were mm -hmm. accepted. And the sentencing um, recommended by both defense uh, counsels and the crown prosecutor uh, was in relation to time served, so quid pro quo. Um, Chris Lysak did, and I'm doing some math here, and I, I don't remember, but essentially um, 719 or 723 days today times 1.5 for remand, that's how they calculate calculate this. Uh, so being um, being in custody pre, for pre-trial. Pre uh, Jerry Morin, which shocked me, and uh, I, I feel this is a travesty of justice, among other reasons, just this issue alone, spent 74 days in solitary confinement during his total incarceration, uh, which they put a multiplier of three times on. So essentially, both plea deals and, and both sentences were for time served uh, to be released later today. So these men will be released to go back to their families later this afternoon. Mm. At the, at the wow. Okay, well, so that's very interesting, isn't it? Now, JT, what were you saying some of your thoughts were? If you could just put your mic on because you, I think that's valid what you were saying. Well, I would think the conspiracy to commit murder would interest the media, especially the conspiracy to murder RCMP officers, that they would be really chomping at the bit to see these guys convicted. And Mocha Berzigan is the only media person there. Yeah, no CBC, good for Mocha. No CTV, no Global, nobody covering this. Yeah. They dropped the charges, which means they had nothing. I don't know what's in that envelope that nobody can talk about, but clearly the, the prosecution had nothing. They've just strung this out. It's purely political and it's purely theater and it's completely against the Charter of Rights and human rights that should be taken to the UN. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, th that's a very serious charge, conspiracy to kill RCMP. Oh, you know what? We're just going to drop it and <laughs> time served. Yeah, we'll just take that one off. We'll just take that one off. Now you're free to go. So I wonder what's happening with Tony. Um uh, I'm going to see if I can call Granny Mackay right now and see if she can give me any insight, okay? Uh, so what's going to happen with Tony and the other Chris is sort of my, my thoughts on this. And I know Granny's always got her beat on the pulse. She's already been... Uh, hey. Hi. Hey, hi, Granny. How are you? Hey, listen. How are you? I'm okay. Listen, um, I'm on live right now. And of course, we've just heard, you know, what's going on and you've been informing us. Um, is, so I just want to let you know you're live. Are you willing and able? Would you be able to tell us what's happening with Tony and Chris? Do you, know, do you have any updates? With Tony and Chris, I have not spoke to either one of them yet or any of their family. I think right now everybody's really confused and, and overwhelmed. Um, as you can only imagine what those two men are going through. Yeah. Two men that were charged with the exact same things as them, went through everything for the last two years like them, and now they got released and you're still sitting inside a remand. I can't even begin to imagine what they're going through. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. Right. And we had Tony on uh, with you not long ago. And is he still in simply remand? This continues 720 yeah. 
three days later. Yes. So he's still in Lethbridge. Um, what will happen? Will he stay in Lethbridge now? Because the reason he couldn't stay in Lethbridge before is because both areas of Lethbridge where Chris and Chris were separated into these different areas, well, now Chris Lysak's not there. So, mm-hmm. will Chris, so will Tony be able to stay in Lethbridge now? I have no idea. I'm assuming so. So I, I don't know. But I would assume I'd hear from Tony here pretty soon. Okay. Uh, please give him our love and our prayers and uh, let the guys know that we are praying for them. Um, and we're hoping perhaps for their imminent release as well in this uh, yeah. farce farce of a... Uh, I mean, what do you make, Granny? They're saying, okay, we've uh, taken off the, the conspiracy to kill the police officers. That's a pretty big um, charge to just kind of go, okay, we'll wipe that away now and we'll give you time served and you're out. Yeah, the whole, the whole thought of it is weird. Like, so these two men could not get bail because, you know, officers were too scared to go and check on them when they, if they got out and had an ankle brace at that bracelet of their house. And now that's all just being waived. Right. So they're in there for two years and it makes no sense. Wow. Well, no well, sense at all. And, and like I said, we don't 100% tell I hear it from Jerry's wife or from Jerry, because yeah. Jerry will be out today. Until I hear exactly what he planned out to, I don't believe any articles. I don't believe what anybody's saying until I hear it from them. Because I believe they did take a plea deal, but is it necessarily true? I don't believe it is. I believe the door was cracked open, and you can only imagine what he's going through, and he can see the light just sign here. I don't believe um, Jerry did what they're saying he, he signed, he pled out for. I don't believe it for one second. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that update. And uh, keep us posted, Granny. You're always letting me know what's happening. Um, I yeah. appreciate that so much. And just let Tony know we are praying for him. And maybe maybe his imminent release is also due. His oh, sudden I release. Amen. I, pray it is, I, I do. I pray it is. I pray it's, it's coming soon. I, and thank you for always being there, Laura Lynn. Like you've always been a trooper. You've always been in their corner. And um, yeah. uh, the continued support is so much appreciated. You're welcome. I smelled a rat from the beginning. So, so did you. <laughs> so this yeah, is wrong. A big one. Yes. This, these are okay, political well, prisoners. You, yes, they definitely are. Yeah. They definitely are. Thank you. And, uh, Okay, love you. Talk love to you, you soon. All right, take okay. care. Bye-bye, okay. Granny. Bye-bye. Okay, that's fantastic. So let's um, let's celebrate that for a moment and say good. Two of the political prisoners are out, and we pray for the soon release of Tony and Chris. Um, so something very interesting has happened. Uh, Tucker Carlson basically feeling that there hasn't been adequate understanding of Putin's uh, President Putin's position on this war that's been going on. What does Tucker Carlson do in true Tucker Carlson form? He goes to Russia and asks for an interview, and apparently he got it, and it's about to be released. But uh, just before then, he has uh, put up uh, a statement about it. So let's have a look at what he's saying. We're in Moscow tonight. We're here to interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. We'll be doing that soon. There are risks to conducting an interview like this, obviously. 
So we thought about it carefully over many months. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region, here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. But they should know. They're paying for much of it in ways they might not fully yet perceive. The war in Ukraine is a human disaster. It's left hundreds of thousands of people dead, an entire generation of young Ukrainians, and it's depopulated the largest country in Europe. But the long-term effects are even more profound. This war has utterly reshaped the global military and trade alliances, and the sanctions that followed have as well. And in total, they have upended the world economy. The post-World War II economic order, the system that guaranteed prosperity in the West for more than 80 years, is coming apart very fast, and along with it, the dominance of the U.S. dollar. These are not small changes. They are history-altering developments. They will define the lives of our grandchildren. Most of the world understands this perfectly well. They can see it. Ask anyone in Asia or the Middle East what the future looks like. And yet the populations of the English-speaking countries seem mostly unaware. They think that as nothing has really changed. And they think that because no one has told them the truth. Their media outlets are corrupt. They lie to their readers and viewers. And they do that mostly by omission. For example, since the day the war in Ukraine began, American media outlets have spoken to scores of people from Ukraine, and they have done scores of interviews with the Ukrainian President Zelensky. We ourselves have put in a request for an interview with Zelensky, and we hope he accepts. But the interviews he's already done in the United States are not traditional interviews. They are fawning pep sessions, specifically designed to amplify Zelensky's demand that the U.S. enter more deeply into a war in Eastern Europe and pay for it. That is not journalism. It is government propaganda, propaganda of the ugliest kind, the kind that kills people. At the same time, our politicians and media outlets have been doing this, promoting a foreign leader like he's a new consumer brand, not a single Western journalist has bothered to interview the president of the other country involved in this conflict, Vladimir Putin. Most Americans have no idea why Putin invaded Ukraine or what his goals are now. They've never heard his voice. That's wrong. Americans have a right to know all they can about a war they're implicated in. And we have the right to tell them about it because we are Americans too. Freedom of speech is our birthright. We were born with the right to say what we believe. That right cannot be taken away no matter who is in the White House. But they're trying anyway. Almost three years ago, the Biden administration illegally spied on our text messages and then leaked the contents to their servants in the news media. They did this in order to stop a Putin interview that we were planning. Last month, we're pretty certain they did exactly the same thing once again. But this time, we came to Moscow anyway. We are not here because we love Vladimir Putin. We are here because we love the United States and we want it to remain prosperous and free. We paid for this trip ourselves. We took no money from any government or group, nor are we charging people to see the interview. It is not behind a paywall. Anyone can watch the entire thing, shot live to tape and unedited, on our website, tuckercarlson.com. Elon Musk, to his great credit, has promised not to suppress or block this interview once we post it on his platform, X, and we're grateful for that. Western governments, by contrast, will certainly do their best to censor this video on other less principled platforms because 
That's what they do. They are afraid of information they can't control. But you have no reason to be afraid of it. We are not encouraging you to agree with what Putin may say in this interview, but we are urging you to watch it. You should know as much as you can. And then, like a free citizen and not a slave, you can decide for yourself. Thanks. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> Remember I used to tell you guys, you know, you gotta watch Tucker Carlson on Fox News. The reason that I knew he was exceptional and extraordinary was everything that your mind might go, what's going on there? Why is that happening? And it was something epic. He was covering it. He was getting the answers. And so I absolutely loved him for that, you know? And I would tell you guys to watch him and I was always concerned that, uh, I was concerned that they, he would be let go, you know, for one reason or another, and they did it. They found a way, they found the reason, and they, you know, and they got rid of him. So very interesting. Um, let's, uh, let's look at a couple more things and see if... Okay, YouTube won't allow it. So maybe we'll close off pretty quick here. One thing I wanted to run, JT, was the Glenn Beck on why the $118 billion border security bill is a joke. Because we, uh, there's a big fight between, you know, CNN and Fox News right now and the Republicans and the Democrats is, how come the Republicans won't sign the bill, you know, to, to, to put the border security in? Well, this is why. Take a listen. It would also require the Department of Homeland Security to nearly shut down the border. Now, listen to this. Nearly shut down the border. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means that we're not going to shut down the border, but nearly do it. Now, not today, but that they can do that if the migrant crossers increase more than 5,000 a day on any given week, or if the average daily encounters reach four thousand dollars, uh, four thousand people a day in a one-week span. So, if there's four thousand people for six days, they can't shut down the border. I, I'm sorry, they can't nearly shut down the border. At a rate of 5,000 illegal immigrants entering the country, that would mean more than 1.8 million illegal aliens would be coming into the country every year. But remember, I haven't gotten to the nearly shut down the border. This is their solution today, to let an additional 2, two million people just come across our border. Okay, we're a little sick of the 4 million, I think. We're a little sick. We're, let's, let's slow it down. Let's just do 2 million. Oh, Okay. <laughs> That's way better. <laughs> I mean, what a joke. Um, and the other uh, reason that this is not passing is because out of the $118 billion border security bill, $60 billion of that is going to go to the war in Ukraine. And no matter which side, we always feel sorry for the poor people. And I feel very badly for the people of the Ukraine uh, underneath uh, Zelensky and his uh, ridiculousness because he is clearly one of the most narcissistic people on the planet. But why on earth other countries have had to get involved in this? I want to hear from Putin himself. This is what I remember, okay? And... When I was, before the war started, 
and I was watching the kind of showdown beginning, what Putin did not want was he didn't want, I guess, these weapons to be in the Ukraine on the border, right? NATO weapons or or like nuclear weapons, he didn't want them in the Ukraine right on the border of his country. And he was very clear, and he said, if you do this, then we will, we will have to fight. And instead of honoring that, Zelensky just, as if he just wanted a war, as if he just wanted to fight, like that girl last night on The Bachelor, right? She just wanted a fight. One of the things that we do to unwind. Anyways, um, I just saw that they were not being fair or right or correct in their actions in the Ukraine. And that doesn't mean I like Putin. That doesn't mean I think Putin's a super good guy. Probably not at all. I mean, who is? These, all these world leaders are so pathetic. We've really lost our way on this planet. And you know, it's a wonder we're still here and we're getting closer and closer to being, you know, blown sky high. And that's even why the Bible says that, you know, uh, that in the last days, God was going to have to shorten the time or there would be no one left. Well, maybe it's because of guys like Zelensky just pushing around a guy like Putin. He, he's, you know, he's a bully himself. So why would you fight him? You have to understand, like, the Bible says, agree quickly with your adversary so that you can have peace. If in as much as you can, agree quickly with that, you know, but he's not doing that. Um, did we do all the videos so far? Two, two, is there one more we should do? No. no? Okay. Uh, the Maccus event. Yes. Do you have the poster there? I just want to let you know that coming to BC on March the 8th, 2024 will be Dr. William Mackis himself. And if you saw my interview, he is exposing the pedophiles. And he's got quite a story about Dr. Bonnie Henry. Dr. Bonnie Henry and her cover-ups, her refusal to deal with head-on uh, some of the evil that is going on in the medical establishment. So he's coming here to, uh, to share the word. All right? So it's going to be an incredible event. Uh, we would like you to sign up. We almost have that uh, done up. I know Dominique's uh, bothering me to get that up and running, but it's because it's limited seating. It's going to be at the Scottish Cultural Center, and we are going to have uh, music. We're going to have worship, a little time together, and then we're going to get into telling the truth. And I think it's sort of God's new way of doing doing church, you know, where we don't um, <clears throat> we don't go to church and just pretend that there's nothing we need to understand as good citizens, that, <clears throat> that we need to be very, very aware in these last days of the evil that, <clears throat> that is against us and how to fight it. So Dr. William Mackis, if you're anywhere in the Vancouver, BC area on March 8th, it is going to be spectacular. All right. So put that in your calendars right away. And uh, my website is laurelin.tv. I urge you to go there and, uh, and, you know, if you're ever wondering, like, you know, where our shows are, what they are, what platforms we're on, everything's there, lauralyn.tv, on a TV, all right, not, not .ca, not .com, but .tv, and in fact, sometimes we can even run the show live, like, uh, 
we might be able to actually see, you know, a show running live. Look at that. You're playing a video there. That's cool. Is that how, like, they, they're putting all these, um, these things. They're putting commercials on our shows. How does that work? That's very interesting, isn't it? Hmm. So thank you very much for supporting us. We love you. If you can help us to do this, and if you like this kind of programming, and you tune in, and you just feel better, or sometimes worse, I can't help it, I know, um, then uh, would you support us? It means a lot. You can go to the donate page. You can become a one-time, uh, you know, a one-time um, gift offering supporter. And we give tax receipts. So you will get a tax receipt for all donations. And that's because we are here uh, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we do on every single show, and we do it um, monitoring the lens, uh, through the lens of how God looks at the world so that we can understand what's going on and how we therefore should respond. So if you give a large or small donation, all of it is appreciated. If you become a monthly partner, it means the world to us. Uh, it means you can kind of set it and forget it and you know that you're always supporting us. We're going to be here for a very long time. And so we hope that... Uh, You'll do that. It means a lot. And if you want to say send an e-transfer, Laura Lynn Live at ProtonMail.com would be the place to do that. You can also still do it to Laura Lynn Live at gmail.com. We also have snail mail, box 48184 in New Westminster, um, Queensboro, and V3M0A7. Can we change that graphic today, JT, to Queensboro? Just so um because some some packages have just not gotten through and they have that address and so I think that sometimes you have to have literally Queensboro, especially maybe larger packages. I think it goes to a different spot. I don't know why. But Box 48184, Queensboro. All right? It's going to get through to us. And we thank you for that. We love you guys. Thank you very much. And if you want to buy gold and silver, Sun City Silver, to sovereignize at protonmail.com, uh, we highly recommend that you just take care of your finances. Be aware. Don't don't leave everything until all of a sudden there's some big crash or calamity and you have no gold and silver on hand. Um, gold and silver is a tradable commodity. You can take it even into any bank, actually, and get uh, cash for it. I mean, um, it, it literally is tradable like money. But in the day when your cash dollar or your loonie or toonie is suddenly worth 70 cents or 60 cents, uh, gold and silver is probably going to be suddenly worth more. So that's what I hear from the bigwigs. I am not a, a money advisor. I'm just saying that that is the, the message that I've heard. And that's why JT and I invest in gold and silver. Okay. So I'd like to leave you with this scripture before we go. And it is found in Hebrews uh, 10. A call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, amen. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, the water of God, the water of the word. Um, anyone out there have a guilty conscience? You know, are you living sort of in that very painful place where 
um, where you just feel like you failed and that maybe God couldn't love you. Do you know you are so precious to God that in the moment that you ask for his forgiveness, he will forgive you in a, a fraction of a second. He's waiting for it. And the moment that he forgives you, in the moment that you ask for his forgiveness, you are righteous before him. You're cleansed. Everything that you ever thought that you did wrong, it's gone. It's done. You're totally holy before him. And you become a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You become engrafted, adopted, really, into his family. And this word here is saying that you get to come into the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. You get to come into the most holy place. And I want to be there because that secures my eternity because that cleanses me from all the sins and the mistakes and the failings of this lifetime. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, whether I live for a day or another 30 good years and 10 bad ones, is what I always say. I say, we got 30 good years. Well, actually I kind of say 20 good years and 10 bad ones. And then five really, you know, we can't barely move. I don't know. Maybe I can go to a hundred and still be running around. I, like I really want that. But in any case, no matter how long this is, the thing that I have confidence in is God and God alone controls my destiny. God and God alone controls the time that I'm on this earth. And because I've turned my life over to him, I have full peace in that. I don't have to worry about my life being lost. Like I was on a plane and there was a little bit of turbulence. I don't like that. You ever done that? You're on a plane and it's a little bit of turbulence. You know, I always just kind of go, you know, God, my life's in your hands. It's not in the hands of the pilot. It's not in the, the, the bulwark of that plane. It's in the hands of God and his love for us, how much he loves us. He loves us more than our parents did. You know how much your mom and dad just think that you're the apple of their eye? Well, God thinks you are the apple of his eye and he loves you even more than any earthly person could love you. And he sees you and he wants you to make a commitment to him, to be faithful to him because at that point, you and him, it's time to fly and it's going to be fun. God bless. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.